Thank you, Brad. Thank you, worship team. And uh, if you have your Bibles, could you please turn to Acts chapter 27? Could you turn me down a little bit, bro? Thanks. Really loud. All right. Let's open in a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you that it is inspired, that it has been God-breathed. Thank you, Lord, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, that it can discern the very thought and intents of a person's heart. So for everyone that is joining us today, I pray that the word of God by the Holy Spirit will speak to you will encourage you, will direct you, and will bring you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ in your walk. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're coming to the end of the book of Acts. There's 28 chapters in this book, and today we're on chapter 27. And so Paul has been on trial He's been on trial before the Jews in Jerusalem. He's been on trial before the Romans uh, in Caesarea. And he is going to go to Rome. And yes, he is a prisoner, so he won't be traveling with the Carnival Cruise Lines. But it is an all-expense-paid trip by the government. And that kind of reminds me of a humorous story of a family that had the task of delivering a eulogy for a grandpa who led a life of crime. Even though grandpa was jailed for robbing a bank in a train and then hung as a horse thief after escaping from prison, the family felt that he could not be left out of the family history, so it was decided that his eulogy would be a polished version. And this is what they wrote. Grandpa was a famous cowboy in his time. He spent, some fast, uh, he spent some time on the fast track with the Wells Fargo Bank, and his business grew to include substantial equestrian acquisitions. He devoted several years to service at a government facility until he finally took his leave, and he passed away during an important civic function held in his honor when the stage upon which he was standing collapsed. Well, Paul was a prisoner, but unlike the fictitious grandpa in this story, he was innocent of all the charges that were brought against him. Now, one of the key verses in the last seven chapters of the book of Acts is found in Acts 23.11, because it was there that the Lord appeared to Paul, and it says, but the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness of me in Rome. So the fact of the matter is, is that we have God's divine providence, his divine uh, promises, and his divine presence, who basically said to his servant Paul, as you have testified to me in Jerusalem, so you are going to Rome, and there you will be a witness for me. And when I read that verse, uh, I think about Paul's tra travel itinerary being planned 
divinely by the Lord. Now, we are going to read today in Acts uh, 27 of a shipwreck. And uh, the more that I think about this, I would actually say that this was a ship direct. Because God said to Paul, you're going to Rome to be a witness of me. And I quite, I, I personally believe that, that Paul could have gone to uh, Rome in a rowboat. And he would have arrived safely. It might have taken a little longer. But the fact of the matter is, is that the Lord promised Paul he was going to Rome to be a witness for him. And so, everything that's going to happen in this chapter is a part of the providence of God and the direction of God of getting Paul to exactly where the Lord said he was going to be. So, we're going to read about a terrible storm. We're going to read about a shipwreck. But really, it's a ship direct. Because in chapter 28, we're going to see that the Lord planned a, a, a divine stop at the island of Malta where there's going to be a revival. And then he is going to be arriving in Rome. And so, you know, when I read about this story, I often wonder about uh, the ways and the means of the Lord. I mean, couldn't the Lord just have taken Paul straight to Rome Smooth sailing, no waves, just a lovely little wind, sailing on the Mediterranean, watching all the islands go by, and arriving safely in Rome, no trouble. But that's not what the Lord did. And it reminds me of the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs 16, 9, it says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And in Proverbs 19.21, it says, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. And then I think about the great promise that we've all memorized and we have quoted often when we are in times of bewilderment, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says what? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not onto your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths, or in some versions it says, he shall make your paths straight. So we know that as believers and followers in the Lord Jesus, we don't know how we're getting to the end goal. All we know is, is that God has given us great and precious promises by which we may enter into the divine life, we know that Jesus said that he has gone to prepare a place for us, and if it were not so, he would have told us, and that he's coming back to receive us unto himself so that we might be where he is. These are all promises that God has made. The apostle Paul put it this way, he that has began a good work in you is also faithful to finish it or complete it. He said to the, uh, to the Thessalonians, uh, he that started a good work, or he is by faith, he will finish it. And so the fact of the matter is, is that we know that the final destination is secure. But the ways and the means of the Lord of how he gets us there is just a mystery to us a lot of the times. And there are many stories in my life, and there are many stories in your life, that if you were to sit down and talk to me or talk to people, you always hear this from God's people. You know, looking back on my life, 
I wouldn't have chosen the ways that the Lord chose to get me here, but now that I look back, it's the way that the Lord used. And isn't that true about us? God uses many various means throughout the scriptures to get his people from point A to B, and they are never the way uh, that we think it should be, right? Uh, the Lord had to take Jonah to Assyria. The only way he could get him there was through a big fish. Now, it says the fish was traveling for three days before he upchucked him on the land, but the fish was being directed by the divine will of God and taking Jonah where he needed to be. It's amazing when you think about how God works to get us to where we need to be. Now, I don't know where you are today, and I don't know how you're processing your life, but here's what I would encourage you in. God is directing your life. He is in control of your life. And uh, you might be in a storm, but God is the master of the storm. And he can use storms, as we're going to see, to get his will done. And uh, today we're going to talk uh, at the end of the different types of storms that God uses in his people's lives. So, Acts 27, verse 1. It says, and when it was decided that we should sail to Italy... They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So now we see the Lord's plan beginning to unfold. He is going to use a godless Roman centurion as his tour guide. He is Julius, and he is a centurion. And it's very interesting to note in the Bible that God used many centurions in the Bible to basically get his will done or to teach people a lesson. One of the most famous centurions is the unnamed one in Matthew chapter 8. He sent a servant to the Lord Jesus and said, the servant said, um, my master has sent me because his servant is sick unto death. Would you please come and heal, heal him? Then as the Lord came, he sent another servant, and the servant said, my master says to you, Lord, don't even bother coming to my house. I'm not worthy. All you have to do is just simply say the word, and my servant will be healed. Because I'm a man under authority. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say one, come, and he comes. The Lord said of this centurion, that he had not found this type of faith in all of Israel because he recognized how authority works. Jesus said, he sees that I have all authority. And he commended him for his faith. There was the centurion at the foot of the cross. He recognized Jesus when nobody else did. He said, surely this is the son of God. And then there was Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. The Lord directed him to send for Peter in the, city, or the town of Joppa and that he would come and preach the word of God. And Peter came and they were all saved, him and his household, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Hence, some of the first Gentile believers recorded in the book of Acts 
was a remnant centurion in his household. So again, I'm amazed at how God chooses people to work in our lives. Now look at the uh, first part of the journey, starting in verse 2. So entering a ship of the uh, Adramidium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. Aristocharis, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. And when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. So, uh, and when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, the city of Lycia. And there the centurion fell in an Alexandrian ship, sailing to Italy, uh, and put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and had arrived with difficulty off Sinaitis, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now, when ta uh, much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening towards the southwest and northwest, and winter there. But when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they have obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempest, headed, uh, a tempest headwind arose called a Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. Paul, being an experienced traveler, warned the centurion that they should stay in fair havens because it was Passover, mid-October. And everyone knew that it was dangerous to make a voyage at that time of the year. However, the text tells us because fair havens was a rather boring port and the harbor was not ideal for wintering and an enticing south wind began to blow the captain decided to take a, a chance and set sail for a much nicer port in the city of Phoenix, which was about 40 miles away. Now, the centurion did not listen to Paul, but was persuaded by the owner of the ship to continue going. Now, it says that this was an Alexandrian ship that they were transferred to, which means it was an Egyptian ship. This Egyptian ship only had one sail. That's how they were built. And they were about 140 yards long, and it probably was bearing grain. Now, the design of this ship was very interesting because they were designed to sail uh, in such a way that they could not sail into the wind. 
uh, it was just impossible for this design of ship to do that. And this is exactly what's going to happen. They get into contrary winds, and now there is no longer any chance of them to steer the ship or sail the winds. They are at the mercy of the storm. Now, the centurion is going to listen to the crowd rather than Paul, the preacher. Perhaps he said, you're a preacher. What do you know about sailing? And uh, it says, not long after, thinking that they had what they desired, they set uh, sail only to go headlong into a storm. And verse 15 says, the storm blew them wherever it wanted. Now, the crew and the ship was no longer in control of, uh, of the wind. The wind and the storm was now in control of the ship and the crew. And that's always how it works when you listen to the tempter or to the crowds. It's like a soft wind of desire begins to blow, and then pretty soon you are no longer in control. You are in the storm, and the storm is controlling you. Now, this is a wonderful picture of, not, of how not to know God's will as we sail through life. Number one, impatience. It wasn't a good time to sail. The season wasn't right. But the crew was impatient and had an agenda and a timetable that wouldn't wait. And you know, the Bible has a lot to say about waiting. It talks that waiting is a good thing to do, especially upon the Lord. Isaiah says, wait on the Lord and you shall renew your strength. And you can mount up as wings like eagles. And you will run and not be weary. And you shall walk and not be faint. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, bad decisions and unwise counsel comes from not waiting on the Lord. And this crew and this captain did not wait upon the Lord. As a matter of fact, they had a member mentality. Well, this is what the crowd is saying, so I'm just going to go with the crowd. And they were in a rush. And they thought that if they don't do something really quickly, they're going to miss an opportunity of a lifetime. I would say to this, that if you wait upon the Lord, you will never miss any opportunity. For the Lord will not allow you to miss the opportunities that he wants you to have. The second thing was the popular vote. The centurion took a vote. The professional, the helmsman, the owner... The business, the sailors with their personal agendas, they all outvoted Paul. So you have the professionals, you have the business people, and you have all of them conspiring to say, why would we listen to this minister of the gospel? And any time that you don't listen to the word of God, you will be shipwrecked. It's just that simple. God is not up for election, and he's not running for any party. He is God. And so for us as believers, it should be settled that this book is the final vote in our lives. 
The third thing is checking out the winds. They determined their counsel by checking which way the wind was blowing. Now, when the winds uh, changed and threatened their lives, their counsel was not good. And so we need the counsel that is set by the solid rock, the Lord Jesus, and not the winds that shift with people every day. The fourth is they sought the easy place to be. They wanted to go to where they thought it was the ideal place to a different harbor. They wanted to be in their thinking in the easy place to be. Let's get to Phoenix, they said. Life will be good there, but in taking the easy road, it's not always the best road. Taking God's counsel is always the best road. It's not the easiest road, but it is the best road. So when you're thinking about how not to follow God's will, don't be impatient, don't follow the crowd, don't check out the winds, and don't look for the easy place to be. So now we go into the storm in verse 16. And running under the shelter of an island called Claudia, we secured the skiff with difficulty. And when they had taken it aboard, they used cables to undergird the ship, fearing lest they should run aground on the uh, Sirtis sands. They struck sail and so were driven. And because they were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, when neither sun nor, stor, uh, nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Now I urge you, take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Paul says to these guys, after a long abstinence, take heart. In other words, be of good cheer. There will be no loss of life among you, only the ship. I like this because this goes back to uh, the, the verse that I read in Acts 23, 11. Paul, you have to bear witness to me in Rome. And again, the Lord uh, visits Paul again and says, Paul, I'm taking you to Rome. You must testify about me. So be of good cheer. Now, what do you see that is really significant in these verses. 
Well, one of the things that I see is that this shows us something that is really important about the work of God in our lives. And it's this. God is saving lives while we're trying to save ships. It's not the ship that's important. It's not the cargo or the commerce that's aboard that's important. Rather, it's the souls of people. Notice that after they get into the storm, they start throwing the cargo overboard. They throw all of the tackle overboard. The only thing that's left of any importance on the ship now is the souls of the people. We are busy saving what we prioritize to be important in our lives. But the Lord's priority is our life itself. Now, we are in unique times in the world today. Um, in all the time that I have been alive, this is the first time in my life that I have ever experienced a time where a church around the world is not allowed to come together and worship. Now, in places of persecution, we know that that happens all the time. They have to go underground. But for us here in Canada, in Kelowna, has there ever been a time in your life where you have not been able to go to church? You know, I think one of the blessings that has come out of this whole COVID thing is that we have begun to see what a beautiful privilege and what a high blessing it is for us to be able to come together Sunday after Sunday and be the people of God, to be praying for one another, to be praising the Lord together, to be enjoying fellowship together, sitting under the word together. And so it's given us a sense of priorities. Now, when we began uh, broadcasting online and that no people were allowed in church, one of the things that I spoke of is the blessings that can come out of adversity. And one of the blessings that I said comes out of adversity is the sharpening of priorities. And one of the priorities that we've realized that is so important is that uh, our lives and our souls I mean, God has been doing incredible work through this COVID-19 in the church. People are beginning to realize taking church for granted is not a good idea. Uh, sharing the gospel is. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff that's going on. And so we're in the storm, the COVID storm. And what's God doing in the midst of this storm? He's showing us what our priorities are, and what should be important. And what is important? Souls. Souls are important. And people are reaching out all over the place, inviting people to our online service. And maybe you're watching today and you've never been to Calvary Chapel, Kelowna. You don't even live in Kelowna, but you're watching. Well, welcome. And I want to tell you something God is interested in you prioritizing your soul. How is it with your soul today in the storms of life? Are you paying attention to your soul? Have you made provision for it? Have you considered Jesus? 
Have you considered what would ever happen to you one second into eternity? If you're thinking about any of these things for the very first time, praise God for COVID-19. You know, many a ship that I have sailed on in life has been sunk by the mercy of God so that my life may be preserved and saved. I might have lost cargo. I might have lost things that I thought were really important to me, but I'll tell you one thing that I have found is giving attention to the condition of my soul. And one of the things that God does through the storms of life is he prioritizes what's important, and that is the saving of souls. Now look at Paul's confidence. He was assured of God's will. He said to the men, an angel of the Lord stood by me, and he assured him of the fact that the ship will go down, but your lives will be spared. You know, the sailors and the crew only saw the storm, but Paul saw the Lord in the storm. And I would ask you today, in the storms that we're facing, what are you looking at? Are you looking only at the storm, or are you looking at the Lord in the storm? Perspective is so important when you're in a storm. The second thing Paul said is, do not be afraid. Paul said, the Lord stood by me, and it was his will for me that I should stand before Caesar. Therefore, I believe God, verse 25. How, what, what anchors you in a storm? Well, what anchored Paul was, I believe God. What anchors us in any storm is faith. Not faith in human ingenuity or human ability or human solutions, but faith in what God says. And God says, I am with you. I will be with you. And I will take you to where I said I am preparing uh, for you. It's so encouraging because we see a progression here. The Lord speaks. He says, don't be afraid of this storm. And Paul responds, I believe God even in the midst of the storm. And as we look over the Gospels and the book of Acts, how many times did the followers of the Lord his disciples and his apostles find themselves in storms. I think every storm has a, a, a principle or a truth in it, and that is God wants us to change our perspective. He wants us to get our eyes off the storm and off wrong priorities and get them onto him. And the thing about a storm, folks, is... Whose perspective will we have, ours or the Lord's? Because there's only one perspective that takes us through the storms, our faith. John wrote, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Not faith in faith, but faith in God. And every storm serves a purpose. 
and that is to strengthen our faith and to bring us closer to the Lord. And at the end of the storm, I hope that you can say, I believe God just as he said it would be. Therefore, take heart and be of good cheer. In verses 26, it says, the ship run aground. However, we must run aground. Verse 27, now when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawn near to some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And then they had gone a little further and they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for a day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes off the skiff and let it fall off. And as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from your head of any of you. And when they had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And when they were all encouraged and all, all took food themselves, and in all there were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow struck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who should swim should jump overboard uh, first and get to the land. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship, and so it was they all escaped safely to the land. So there you have it. Don't jump ship. You got to stay with the ship. Abide in, the pro in God's program. Abide in his wisdom and his counsel. Don't cut the ropes. <laughs> Don't give in to rationale and compromise or excuses. Don't be looking for a dinghy. Don't be looking for scuba gear. Just stay with the ship and stay with the program until God says go. And of course, you notice that we have the first surfers in the Bible there. They jumped on boards and surfed to land. So surfing is of God. So Paul encourages the crew and they all make it to the land. So in conclusion today, I'd like to just take a few minutes and talk to you about storms. 
Do you know in the Bible there are many types of storms? And that they come for many different reasons. One of the storms that uh, I am reminded of, of course, is Jonah. Jonah was called by the Lord to go and preach the gospel to the Assyrian nation, modern-day Iran, actually. And he was so disgusted by the Assyrians that God would actually uh, show them uh, grace and mercy and offer them forgiveness that he decided to go uh, in the opposite direction and to sail for Tarshish in Spain, 850 miles in the opposite direction. And the Lord created a great storm for Jonah. That was a storm of correction. That was Jonah running from the Lord till the storm brought him to his wit's ends and brought correction in his life. The Lord will bring storms of correction into his children's lives. He will stir up the proverbial waters to get our attention and bring correction to his children. He did it with Jonah, and he will do it with us. Why does God bring the storms of correction? Because he loves us. And because he knows that the greatest and most wonderful thing that we could ever experience in our life is him. Not running from him, but running to him. So we have the storms of correction. Are you in a storm of correction in your life right now? Are you running from the Lord? Are you wondering uh, what is going on around me and why all of this is happening? Perhaps the Lord is trying to bring correction to your life because he loves you. The second one are storms of perfection. Well, what's a storm of perfection? Well, you know, in Matthew 8, Matthew 14... Both instances, the Lord says to his disciples, I want you to get in the boat and I want you to cross over the Sea of Galilee to the other side. They got in the boat, as the Lord said. They got into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And if you've been to the Sea of Galilee, it's about 11 miles long by about 8 miles wide. Kind of looks like a big egg, really. And uh, there are mountain passes in the north and in the south. And winds can blow through those passes and stir up that uh, lake quite violently. Well, anyways, the Lord tells them, I want you to get in the boat and go to the other side. In the midst of the evening, a great storm comes and they think they're going to perish. Now, I've often wondered why the Lord told his disciples to get into the boat when he knew that a storm was coming. And I believe the reason is, is because the Lord wanted their faith to be perfected. Because in one instance, the Lord was asleep in the boat, and they cried out, don't you care if we perish? He got up, and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and they were in awe. Who is this that even nature obeys him? And on the other one, he walked out on the water, and that's where Peter said, if it's you, Lord... Tell me to get out of the boat and come to you. And he did for a few steps. And then he looked at the storm around him and began to sink. And the Lord grabbed him and said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? 
And so there are storms of perfection in our life where God, notice how I said that like an evangelist, God uh, allows us to go through storms to grow our faith. John Corson says, faith is not a pill we take, but a muscle that we work. Storms will work the faith muscles that perfect or mature our trust in the Lord's plans. Then there's another storm, and that's the storm of protection. And that's the greatest storm that ever happened. That's the storm that Noah was in. And the Lord told him to build a boat and that he would, what? Deliver him and protect him out of the storms. And sometimes the Lord supernaturally will protect us in the storms. And we realize that it was his hand and his protection that brought us through. And it's for our protection. And now lastly, we have Paul's storms. And what was the purpose of Paul's storms? Well, basically we could see there is protection, there is uh, um, what were the other ones? My mind's gone blank. Correction, perfection, definitely. But definitely direction. And in Paul's case, it was for direction. The, the Lord was bringing Paul to Rome. And it's interesting that next week when we finish off the book of Acts... Can you believe it? We're going to finish the book of Acts. We're going to see that this was a divine shipwreck because they're going to have a revival on the island of Malta. So, in closing this morning, come on up. Which storm do you find yourselves in? You go, well, Pastor Dale, I'm not in a storm. Well, that's wonderful. Let me encourage you that you soon will be in one. Because you're either just leaving one or you're about to enter one or you're in one. Why? Because God is always using them to perfect us, to protect us, to grow us, or to direct us. And in Paul's case, it was for direction. So, which one are you in today? It really is important for you to think about this. Because you can ask the Father, your Father in heaven, and he can direct you. He can correct you. He can perfect you. He can do uh, any number of things through these storms. So, in closing, let me ask you a simple question. Are you afraid in the storms that we find the world in? You don't have to be. The Lord is in control of everything. He can use it to glorify himself. He can use it to bring people to himself. Maybe uh, this morning you're watching and you know about Jesus. Maybe you've even been uh, raised in a denomination that talks about Jesus, but do you know him? Have you come to a place of putting your uh, personal trust and faith in him? Because that's what it's all about. So let me pray. Father, thank you so much that as we see today in Paul's life, that storms, Lord God, were not our, uh, just random. They had a purpose. 
And Lord, you use these storms to save souls. Lord, to show and to prioritize that lives and souls are so much important than things or places. And I just pray for anyone that's watching today that if you haven't put your personal faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is a perfect time. You go, well, how do I do that? You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. You simply say, Jesus, I put my trust in you as my Lord and Savior today. Thank you for dying for my sin, for coming to save me, that, Lord, I was a priority and that you loved me before I even ever knew, Lord, that you existed. Save me, Lord. Make me your child. Come and live in me. Let, Lord, your word and your will be the map, the guide of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. You know, if you prayed that prayer today, I'd encourage you to reach out to somebody and tell them what you did, a family member, a friend, so that they can encourage you. And if you want, you can reach out to me, calvarychapelcolona.com, and uh, shoot me a, a, an email, and I'll, I'll get back to you, and I'll encourage you. So may the Lord bless you through the, the storms and the trials of life and that God can uh, use these to build us and uh, to glorify himself uh, through uh, our lives. So may the Lord encourage you and bless you. It was great to be with you today. I pray that the Lord uh, has uh, uh, blessed and encouraged you in his word today.